Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Right when you said record, I had to burp. (laughs) Your burp should be the cold open. It could just be burp. (laughs) Welcome to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. Today, we're going to talk about Minette de Silva, a pioneering figure of architecture in Sri Lanka. I'm Norgeri Rivas reading about genetically engineered mosquitoes that will be released in my county in Houston, Texas. Hello, I'm Jessica Rogers, freaked out about those engineered mosquitoes in Washington, D.C. Hey there, I'm Lizzie Rahr, not worrying about mosquitoes in San Francisco. Yeah, okay, whatever. You got smoke. Yes. And fog. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Like always, our quick disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us, leave us a comment, and we will all continue learning. Today, I'm going to take you on a journey east, all the way to the island of Sri Lanka. Okay. The time was February 1st, 1918. The place Kandy, Ceylon. Today, the island is no longer Ceylon, it's Sri Lanka. When they were a British colony, they were called Ceylon, but they achieved independence, got a name change, rebranded, you know? (laughs) Yes. And this was very important because, like you said, when she was born, the island was a British colony. Her dad, George de Silva, was a known journalist, lawyer, and politician. In his lifetime, he was president of the Ceylon National Congress and also served as Minister of Health. Her mom, Agnes Snell, was an activist who pioneered women-related issues in her country, such as suffrage. And in her free time, she designed their family home. Mm, That's so fun. Yeah, you know. Both of Minette's parents worked towards Sri Lankan independence from British rule and progressive causes, 
such as women's rights. And they were shakers and bakers. Important figures like Gandhi and Indian Prime Minister Nehru visited and stayed in Minette's family home. There's a story that one time a house guest complained about the beds and Minette said, well, if they're good enough for Gandhi, they're good enough for you. Bam. Okay, Minette. She's got some sass and I approve. (laughs) Also, casual Gandhi name drop. (laughs) Minette was the baby of the family. She and I have that in common. Young Minette became friends with young Indira Gandhi, who was Nehru's daughter. They were both about the same age. Later in life, Indira became prime minister of India. And to this day, she's the only female prime minister India has ever had. Whoa. Minette was hanging with some big players. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Minette's sister, Anil de Silva, was an art critic, political activist, and historian. Her brother, Frederick de Silva, was a lawyer and politician who served as mayor of Kandy, a member of the parliament, and Sri Lanka's ambassador to France. Frederick married Esme Nathaniels, who had spent a year at the Bauhaus. This family is like success on success on success. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're a family of high achievers. Yeah, no kidding. Mm Mm-hmm. When Minette was a child, she was educated at St. Mary's in Brighton, England, and returned to Ceylon when she was 11. Then, in 1939, at age 21, Minette announced to her family that she wanted to be an architect, and they were like, absolutely not. The... Hey! Yeah, like, what's wrong with becoming an architect? Who knows? It was a whole thing. But eventually, she convinced her father to let her do it. Her father, the guy that was progressive, thought that architecture was a little too progressive for a lady. Mm. Ladies, Mm. her aunt was a doctor. Her mother and older sister were political activists. Her sister-in-law was a designer. Yet architecture is just crossing a line. I don't get it. What makes architecture so scandalous? Yeah, I feel like... We've come across this a lot when studying these women that people seem to feel that women doctors and lawyers were necessary and they could understand why having women in those professions was important. But that apparently didn't apply to STEM industry professions, which is so bizarre. I think it was Louise Bethune who had that quote saying exactly Mm -hmm. that. She obviously supported women in the architecture profession, But she had that whole argument about the female gender didn't change how a person approaches a design project. And she differentiated it from doctors and lawyers and how it was important for women to be in those professions. And Concepcion from a few weeks ago, when she was certified, that article talked about how there were already women doctors and lawyers, but women hadn't broken into engineering thus far. Yeah, Um, we can also say that Mariana from season one. When we talked about landscape architecture, she was so progressive, but yet she didn't think landscape architecture was a profession for women. Do you guys remember that? The hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) I recall. I recall. I remember you saying that. (laughs) Yep. Because it's true. Well, Minette went to study in Bombay and there she worked as an apprentice for the firm Mistri and Bedouar. 
and she became friends with Perrine Mystery and her brother Minu. Actually, Perrine Mystery was an Indian architect and one of the first women to qualify as an architect in India. Future episode alert. Minette also took private classes at the Architectural Academy. And then some sources say that she enrolled at the Sir JJ School of Art. But others say that she didn't. Regardless of which school she went to, she was part of political and cultural circles. She rubbed elbows with Mulkarash Anand, the writer of today classic, but then modern Indo-English literature. And she was also buddies with Ravi Shankar, famous Indian musician and composer. During this time, her sister was also in Bombay, and she, along with a group of people, including Mulkarash Anand, founded Mark, a quarterly journal on modern art and culture. Minette was a contributing editor. Cool. Ooh, very yeah. cool. She was all work, 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 work. <laughs> <laughs> In her spare time, which only Minette knows when that was, she went to a free Gandhi <laughs> march and she got expelled from school. Oh, dang. I guess she grew up with a bunch of activists, but why does that warrant expulsion? Yeah. Was this too rebellious? I don't exactly know why. Sources say that it was for not writing an apology to the head of the school. But why would she need to apologize for that? Did she miss class? I don't know. What? She was expelled for not apologizing? <laughs> yeah, weird. But that didn't stop Minette. She just went to work for the architect and planner, Otto Koenigsberger, in his office in Bangalore, working on prefabricated housing for the Tata Steel City plan in Bihar. Look at Minette. She didn't give a crap about being expelled. She just kept on keeping on. Yep. During that time, she met the head of the education committee in the UK. Who else is this lady going to meet? <laughs> <laughs> but for real, though. Like, <laughs> I want to see her shadow. She got around. And just like, make. Yeah. And not in the slutty way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she met the head of the education committee in the UK and he helped her get a spot to take an exam to enter the Architectural Association. Ooh, the AA in London, you know, that famous alma mater of Zaha Hadid, Denise Scott Brown, and Jane Drew from episode seven. You know, just to name a few. Yeah, no big deal. Minette working her connections. So mm -hmm. I'm assuming she got in, right? Of course she did. Yeah. And she graduated in 1948. Actually, she was the first Southeast Asian woman to become an associate member of the Royal Institute of British Architects. Wait a minute. When did Jane graduate again? Um, 1934. So did they cross paths? You're on to something, Jessica, because during her time in London, Minette met and became lifelong friends with Jane Drew and Maxwell. Oh. Dame Jane and Moxie. That's so cool. They were Biffles. Mm-hmm. And do you remember that Jane and Max were part of Siam? Yeah, we do. Okay, so a quick refresher for the listeners, though. Siam, C-I-A-M. They were a group of international modern architects. It was revolutionary at that time and famous today. 
So was Minette a part of CM too? Yes, she went as a delegate of Sri Lanka and India. She was the very first Asian delegate of Siam, and she became close friends with a guy we've talked about before. Not Corby Corb. The one and only famous architect Le Corbusier. Macaque. Corbu gets around, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they all do. To me. <laughs> She and Corb met up with each other and corresponded regularly until he died. There's some gossip that they were romantic, but there's no proof. I think Minette was too smart to get involved with a married man 30 years her senior. I think they were just friends. Maybe they flirted sometimes. Well, we all know that Corbu and some of these other architects. Like to dip their toes where they didn't belong. Mm. And who knows? You know, long nights in the studio, coffee trips, site visits. Something could have happened with Minette and Corbu. Let's hope <laughs> not, though. I feel like I've heard some stories about Corbu and indiscretion. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but let's move on from that. Besides, Minette was very used to running in the same circles as famous artists. If I haven't mentioned enough famous people, (laughs) (laughs) let me name drop some more. Okay. Pablo Picasso, Henry Cartier-Bresson, Aldous Huxley, Laurence Olivier, all her friends. Casual. Whoa. (laughs) I want to be her friend. (laughs) We thought Mariana knew people. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. There's a couple of other people we knew that knew people, but she knows, like, more people on top of that. Minette. Like, Minette. And from, like, all different, like, <laughs> yes, different places. It's not just architecture. It's, like, art, mm-hmm. politics, you know. Everybody. <laughs> Activists. <laughs> you know what? Something I found interesting about her is that she never got married. And supposedly one time she told a friend that husbands were only good for carrying one's bags. Whatever that means. Mina can carry her own bags. In 1948, she spoke at the World Congress of Intellectuals in Defense of Peace. And you can see a little montage of this on YouTube. Actually, I'm going to post the link in the show notes. You have to see it. It looks like they gave her a standing ovation. Looks epic. Oh, wow. Ooh, I want to see this. Mm -hmm. After she graduated, her family insisted that she had to go back home to the recently independent Sri Lanka and make her contributions, help the new country. Oh, so now they see her value as an architect. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Go figure. (laughs) Now it's okay. Mm -hmm. Back home in Kandy, Sri Lanka... She was inspired by the architect Ananda Komaraswamy, who advocated for the preservation of the traditional arts and crafts, local craftsmen, and building methods and materials. That was super important to Minette, and it influenced her architectural style. She was also influenced by the modern architecture that was becoming popular at the time, and she also had education and perspectives from different countries. 
She was one of the first architects in Sri Lanka that incorporated what she learned from the West with Indian and Sri Lankan architecture. She didn't do just one or the other or a weird mix. She was very careful of creating architecture that made sense in Sri Lanka. Her style was part of what is known today as tropical regionalism. That's so interesting and nice that she took what she learned, but didn't try to like plop it into a totally different culture and climate. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's interesting to think of like recreating an aesthetic for essentially a new country. Yeah. Yeah. And think about it. The country had just achieved independence. So moving forward, their cultural identity through architecture was extremely important. They had to form something that was their own and not just a veneer of colonialism or completely foreign. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's really cool that she got to be part of it. Dope. So dope. She spoke about her desire to create relationships between modern and traditional architecture. And I loosely quote because I only found this quote in Spanish, so I'm forced to translate the translation, but I'll give it my quote voice anyway. The necessities of our community and society need to find a regional expression in urban planning, housing, and public buildings. What happens often is that we copy closed occidental models that do not fit our region, or we try to adapt it to regional architecture in ways that do not fit. This is awesome. An issue that we've talked about as we researched these international ladies was that we wanted to find women from these international cities that created authentic designs that catered to their respective countries. This is great, Nergy. Like she focused her designs to reflect the culture of her country. Okay, so Nergy, what are some other examples of her work? Her first building was the Karunaratne House in Kandy from 1949 to 1951, commissioned by friends of her parents. She designed a split-level house for a site on a hill. It was considered an experiment of regional modern architecture, using modern materials like reinforced concrete, glass blocks, modern ideas of the open plan, movable walls, interior gardens, as well as local materials such as ceramics and teak wood. This building was the first of its kind. It was also the first building designed by a woman in Sri Lanka. Yeah. Woe on woe. <laughs> the project was published in Marg magazine and highly praised. So you think she was a celebrity with her innovative architecture. But by now, we know better. She was the only woman architect in Sri Lanka. And as you can imagine, that caused her a lot of problems. Unwanted mm. advances? Well, Lizzie, articles mentioned how she was a very pretty woman and men used to follow her around. So I would not be surprised if there were unwanted advances in her life. Okay, that's fair. So what about these problems, though? Did she wear pants? Was that the problem? <laughs> was she getting paid the same as the men? <laughs> Good question. And a lot of pictures I saw of her, she was wearing dresses. Maybe that was a real issue. She mm. definitely was not getting paid the same as men. She was a woman. She worked on her own. She had her own firm. Contractors, the government and clients, all men didn't trust her because she was new and because she was a woman. I quote from Minette. I was dismissed because I am a woman. 
I was never taken seriously for my work. Because she did her job and stood her ground, people started calling her a difficult woman. Mm. Hmm. Sounds like the earlier version of a nasty woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Minette paid no mind to the haters. She kept doing her thing. She did a lot of work in the decade of the 50s, such as the Peary's House in 1952, the Amarecinque House and Fernando House in 1954, Aluare Sports Pavilion Police Park, 1955, and the Kumaraswamy Homes in 1960. I guess the last one is not part of the 50s, but let's throw it in there. Nice. Cool, cool, cool. As part of Minette's approach to design, first, she talked for a long time with future householders. Basically, she surveyed how they lived. And then she used that research to inform her designs. This reminds me of a few women that we've mentioned before. I'm thinking a little bit like our Carriotage from season one, Elizabeth Roberts, and even like Julia Morgan, you know, like the people's architect. Yeah. And I also thought about Hans Schroeder from earlier this season and how she would design Mm -hmm. adaptable spaces for people based on the needs they had to make the space more efficient. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, the Fernando house that I mentioned before, the original owner was still living there, at least in 2018. And she talked about how Minette was very smart and sensitive to cost and looked for ways to cut expenses and that she was very cooperative. That's so great. It feels amazing when you design a space that the client is super happy with, especially a residence. I love when I get to hear that from a client. Yeah. She was also interested in minimalist living, and she wrote an article in Cost-Effective Housing Studies. We must reorient our ideas for living comfortably in congested towns like Colombo, where we no longer have expansive acres of garden and spacious, cool, pillared halls. That's great that she wanted to focus on smaller living spaces and saw the need for making them functional and cost effective. Yeah. And she tested those theories throughout all of her architecture. Her house designs were often raised pilotes, interior gardens, increasing cross ventilation and natural lighting through spaces. She made stairs as an experience in the houses. They were often spirals. She didn't design constant ceiling heights. Levels were raised depending on the room as part of the architectural expression. Really cool. I can't wait to see the photos. Yeah. I feel like I need to see these in person, though. They sound so cool. Yeah. They really are. In 1957, she designed the Senanayake Flats in Colombo, where the ground floor was raised by pilotes and garden terraces, similar to the Unité d'Habitation, by her friend Le Corbusier. And one of the best things I can tell you about this project is that it's still there and it's kept up, which is not the same story for a lot of her work. Many of her innovative houses and designs have been demolished. It's very sad. But this place, we can go visit. People live there, so perhaps we could walk around until we get kicked out like we did at Habitat 67. Whoops. (laughs) Okay, but at least there's a place where we can go that we have to go. Maybe we can just ask nicely and sneak in. (laughs) Yeah, but that is really sad that a lot of her projects are not still around. Yeah. 
In 1962, Minette's mother died, and Minette started suffering from depression. During the 1960s, she traveled for long periods of time, and her practice started going downhill. Her career started to decline just as Joffrey Bawa began his. Now, this is a bit of a sour subject because Bawa became a starchitect doing things that Minette had been doing before him, and he was being called innovative. Ugh. Talk mm-hmm. about stealing someone's thunder slash men stealing all the notoriety. Listen to this. If we rewind a little bit to 1958, this Danish guy called Ulrich Plesner went to work with Minette for a year. Then Bawa basically poached him. And you know what? Good riddance. That Ulrich guy later wrote a book about the time he worked with Minette and Bawa. And according to David Robson, an architect and writer, it's a super nasty book where he maligns her character and it really shows the prejudice that she faced as a woman architect. And then you look at his drawings and one can totally recognize Minette's early drawings. So... You know, dude was totally influenced and learned a lot from Minette, but he would never admit it. See what? How ungrateful. Mm. This reminds me of Meese and Lily's influence on his designs. Yeah. And then the total backstabber took what he learned and went to work for Bawa. Bawa went to the AA like Minette. But 10 years after her, and when he returned to Colombo, Sri Lanka, he was able to buy himself into an established company, which means he started out right off the bat with an established client base, something Minette did not have. And Bawa worked with experienced technicians and engineers, the same people that gave Minette a hard time and turned their backs on her. And then as soon as Ulrich arrived at the office, The work started shifting to tropical regionalism. And I mean, all of this helped Bawa progress at lightning speed compared to Minette. And his work is much more recognized than hers. Even though she was first, he is treated like the innovator. One critic says it was De Silva's experiments infusing European modernism and regional style of architecture that made it possible for Bawa to create masterpieces for which he is celebrated. Typical mm. man overshadowing the woman who helped him get to where he ended up. Mm-mm. It's maddening. I feel like we talk about this again and again. It doesn't stop being yeah. terrible. Right. Different countries, same BS. You know, it might also be fair to mention that geography worked against Minette in the sense that she was based in Kandy, which was not as popular a city as the capital, Colombo, where Bawa was based. So there were many factors working against her and in his favor. Well, I guess that probably played into it. And it was probably easier to spread the false notoriety in a larger city, too. Like, who would know the happenings of a smaller city, especially, like, without the internet and stuff? Mm, Yeah, true. She wasn't in the thick of the main architectural center of the country, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Good point. Well, imagine this guy came after her, starts completely eclipsing her, and all of that going on. Then her mother dies. 
Like, no way. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. She needed to remove herself from that situation and travel. She traveled through Europe, the Middle East, Asia. She was like, catch flights, not feelings. (laughs) Yep. Snap, snap. I love that. I do think that for architects, traveling is sort of like continuing education. We get to see and experience buildings from all different cultures and time periods, and that can inform how we design. Right. Well, in the 1970s, there was a change in government in Sri Lanka, and Minette wasn't happy with what she was seeing. And so in 1973, she officially closed her office, moved to London, and rented a flat from her buddy, Jane Drew. Hey, hey. (laughs) During that time, she wrote the whole section on South Asian architecture in the 18th edition of Bannister Fletcher's A History of Architecture. After that, she joined the Department of Architecture at the University of Hong Kong as a lecturer in the history of Asian architecture. She was there from 1975 to 1979, and she pioneered a new way to teach the history of architecture in an Asian context. Innovative architect, innovative professor, innovative everything. Patat. While she was a lecturer, she also curated an exhibition that was shown at the Commonwealth Institute in London with the large collection of photographs of vernacular Asian architecture. Cool. Very cool. In 1979, she went back to Candy and tried to revive her practice, but she had a really hard time. Her biggest project during this period was the Candy Art Association and Centenary Culture Center expansion from 1982 to 1984. The design includes indigenous features, gateways, open courts, pavilions, spaces for music and dance, and also a refectory. The intent is for the entire space to be interactive as a relationship of architecture and entertainment. So some say the cultural center exemplifies contemporary Kendian architecture. That sounds like a really interesting space. I want to visit. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm adding that to my list mm-hmm. as well. In 1996, after being dismissed throughout her entire career, De Silva was awarded the gold medal by the Sri Lanka Institute of Architects. Finally. Yeah. Yeah, I feel sad that she barely got the validation she deserved, but at least her country did give her that recognition in her lifetime. Mm. Minette dreamed of publishing an autobiography, and she worked on it, but sadly, before she finished, on November 24, 1998, Minette passed away at 80 years old. The incomplete autobiography was published posthumously in 1998. It's called The Life and Work of an Asian Woman Architect. Wow. She had so many different phases of her life and she did so much in every single one of them. For sure. I definitely have to add this book to my reading list because Nergidi, her story is incredible. You shared so much on her life, but I bet you she has so much more in that book. Mm. Yeah. Her story inspired author Shiromi Pinto to write Plastic Emotions, which is a novel based on the life of Minette. It was published in 2019, so it's fairly new. I'm opening the Mm -hmm. Libby app right now. Yep, me too. I'm going to add this book and the last book both on my list. (laughs) Yeah, the Houston Public Library did not have these books for me to borrow, so I submitted a request. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I hope. Let me know if you guys find find it in your libraries. 
straight up looking for it. Come on, Arlington. <laughs> now, it's time for our karyatid. Lizzie, what's a karyatid? A karyatid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek-style building. In each episode, we present a karyatid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work, and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. This week's karyatid is... Asumta Nagenda Musana! Azumta is an architect, urban planner, and academic from Uganda. She is a lecturer in the Department of Architecture and Physical Planning in the College of Engineering, Design, Art, and Technology at Makerere University in Uganda. She was the first Ugandan woman to achieve a doctorate degree in architecture. Cool. Very cool. Like Mine, Asumta received an architectural education from many different countries. She graduated in 1994 with a Bachelor of Science degree in architecture from the Karakov State University of Civil Engineering and Architecture in present-day Ukraine. A year later, she got a master's degree from the same university. She received a licensure degree in urban planning in 2004 from KTH Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm, Sweden. And then in 2008, when we started architecture school, she was awarded a doctor of philosophy. Degrees on degrees on degrees. She's giving Milka Bliznakov a run for her money. Yeah. She's making it rain on degrees. <laughs> her research focused on informal settlements of Uganda and Kenya. Today, she specializes in sustainable urban settlements and low-income housing schemes in developing countries. She also thinks it's very important to integrate vernacular architecture with the architectural principles she learned while studying abroad. Not simply ignore local architecture in favor of West ideals that don't necessarily work in other settings. She says, There are many positive aspects to the architecture of these informal settlements that are often disregarded in formal urban planning and should be celebrated. In Kampala, the majority of housing projects have been built on Western models, which cannot be directly translated to African cities. That sounds a lot like Minette. Yep. And I couldn't agree more. I'm glad, Nergidi, that you found this karyatid because I think today there's so much to learn from other countries and cultures. And I'm not speaking from the humanitarian aspect, but from like the architectural standpoint. Sometimes you have to build and use the resources that are available at this site. So I'm glad that she's sticking to it. Agreed. About women in architecture, Asupta says, The hardest thing to overcome is that the profession has been historically seen as a male specialty. I notice it when as a female architect here, you say something on site or in the workplace and the men do not give you the right audience. Getting accepted is a challenge even today. But I think that this makes female architects resilient. I always tell my female students to be assertive, especially when doing site visits and to shape their own place in the industry. It's sad that that's still the case, but I like how she's encouraging new female architects to stake their claim in the profession. 
Yes, for sure. Okay, before we sign off, we want to say Bohoma Istuti, which means thank you in Sinala, hopefully, to CMYK <laughs> for the music and to John W., our technical producer. And most of all, Nanri, thank you in Tamil to you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Minet and Asumta, along with our banter, and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, Bohoma Istuti, Nanri. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your pets, your plants. Give us five stars on iTunes. Write us a review. This will all help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at SheBuildsPodcast and on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. Ginenam! Piriyabite! Sri Lanka or Sri Lanka? I don't know. I like to mix it up, apparently. Okay. I've heard myself. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought maybe you knew something I don't. I just wanted to ask. I keep to correct mixing it up with Spanish and English. Oh, how do you say mm-hmm. it in Spanish? Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you don't do the sh. No. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, Stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.